Please remain standing as you're able. I have to tell you, every year, another year goes by, and no university, no high school, no junior high, no elementary school, not even our weekday school invites me to come and give commencement. And so as long as that happens, generations and year after year of confirmands and seniors will suffer as I give them the message. And so for the message this morning, we're going to be looking at Acts 4, but I invite you to uh, remain standing as first we come before the text, likely as Jesus would, by reciting what he called the Great Commandment. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. The scripture this morning is from the fourth uh, chapter of Acts, verse 13 but, and 14, but let me set it up for you. It starts, uh, last Sunday we talked about the Holy Spirit coming upon uh, the disciples and 120 followers of Jesus. And Peter and John, in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, go, uh, as is their custom, to worship at the temple. And they see a man who has been uh, lame for many years there by the temple. He's asked for a handout. And they give him the response you may have heard. We don't have any silver and gold, but what we do have, we will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we tell you to get up and walk. And the guy does get up. And he's healed, and, and, and he walks, and he's leaping and, and praising God, so this draws a crowd. So Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, decide to take this opportunity to preach to the crowd uh, the good news of the gospel of Christ. And, and they're bold, and, and in the Holy Spirit, and things happen, and there is response. And so the religious establishment, the temple police get word of it, and they arrest Peter and John and drag them before a group known as the Sanhedrin, which is a fancy name for 70. It's the 70 religious rulers of Israel. And uh, in front of them, they give the same pitch to the Sanhedrin and try to convert them. And so this, at the end of the speech, they remind them, you know, there's not salvation under any other name on earth except in the name of Jesus Christ. And so the Sanhedrin must make response, and that's where we pick up the story this morning in Acts chapter 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. But they took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. So, New Zion seniors, for the sake of convenience, I'm going to look this way instead of at you. But that gives you the freedom to sleep or not. But I I know that it's graduation time, and I know it as many of you do it, because invitations to uh, graduations begin uh, to come from family and friends. And I, I want to say to you who are seniors, I envy you. When I see these invitations, and I don't envy you because of the presents you'll receive. I've had a number of graduations, and I've long since blown through all the presents that were given me at that time. I envy you because, quite frankly, I like school. And I wish I had the opportunity to continue on in school. You know, there's things I just, I just like about school. I like the this, this sense of completion you get at school, that you you can write the paper or take the final exam, and, and you're done. And you just can mark that thing off your list. A lot of us in our jobs can never seem to finish a list before the next one comes. And I like the instant feedback that you get when you take a course in college. And I love that the feedback just generally comes from one person. 
And so you know how you're doing. You're an A minus, you're a B plus. You, you kind of know what's going on. And I like that sort of feedback. I also like the community. Uh, in every place where I attended undergraduate and graduate and in the doctoral program, I made good friends, many of whom I still have today. And, and I love uh, the opportunity to go to games uh, together and to, between classes, kind of mutter under our breaths about particular professors together. I, I love the sense of community that came with that. And then just quite honestly, I loved learning. For a lot of my life, I really believed that there was no problem we encountered in life that could not be solved if we all just had a little bit more education. I was just sure in many of the things I came across in life that if I just knew a little bit more, it would somehow be solved. And, and so, quite frankly, I like school. But what I want to share with you seniors is that the Jews liked school as well. And actually, in Jesus' day, the Jews were one of the first civilizations that, that had, in a sense, a public school system for their kids that, that could start when they were five or six years old and go on up until age 30. Now, there were a couple caveats. First of all, it didn't go that far, and it wasn't that formal organized unless you were a boy, not a girl. And the other thing was, once you had done what we might call elementary school, they call Bet Sefer, in Hebrew means kind of house of reading or house of the book, um, if you didn't master that, you just you didn't go on. You didn't go forward. Uh, and so only the best students of like 6 to 12 uh, moved on to the next stage, which took place in the teenage years. And only the very, 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 very best, the most elite of those students could go on to study from age 15 or 16, even on up to age 30, where if they had mastered all of that, they could actually become a rabbi. And they were told at their graduation, go in the world, make disciples. And so it was an amazing system, and Jesus uh, was a part of that system. It was a system that valued learning. But also, in Jerusalem, it was an organized system that in many ways was a small world. You kind of knew where the schools were. You knew, therefore, who the students were, especially if they got very far in the program because there weren't very many of them. And so in the story today, there's Peter and John doing amazing stuff. And, and they're bold and they're powerful. And basically the leaders look at each other and say, hey, they didn't go to our school. They're not alumni of any place we know. Who are these men? They are uneducated. And then the word that gets translated in one version, common or ordinary, really is the same word you use for barbarian. They're barbarians. They didn't go to our school. How can they do any of this? They're uneducated. Now, of course, you and I know that actually they're, they're quite educated. It's just an education of a different sort. And so what I'd want to remind the seniors as they head off to college is there's a lot of education that can be learned in books and in class. But there's also an education that can be learned from experience outside of the books and outside of a class. So, for example, we could say that um, these 70 people who were grilling them had spent years and years and years in books learning about God. And these two men, Peter and John, had spent three years living with God. There was a difference. Sometimes experience can teach you things that the books can't teach. N.T. Wright uh, tells about a friend of his in the U.K. who teaches third grade. And her name is Jennifer. And one day they were doing geography. And the uh, lesson for that day was Australia. So as they got ready to be introduced to Australia, uh, the, the teacher said, well, now what do they do for a living in Australia? And so 
One kid raises her hand right away. Yes. She said, they swim. Well, yeah, I'm sure they do swim in Australia, the teacher said, but they, they don't make a living that way. What do they do to make a living? Another hand goes up and he said, they barbecue. Well, yes, I'm, I'm sure they do that, but I mean, how do they make a living, the teacher asked. And then another young woman, after a moment, finally raised her hand, and this is what she said. She said, well, originally, most of them farmed or they raised sheep. But she said, over time, uh, they began to leave these farms and move into the city. And in the cities today, they do pretty much as the do, they do cities here where we live. And they are in businesses and trade and skills of various kinds. She said, though out in the country, you can find that a lot of the small farmers have gone together and they have large farms and then large ranches for the cattle and the sheep. And, and the teacher looked at her and said, have you been reading ahead? How did you know this? And she said, well, I lived there till last month. There's something that experience can teach you that sometimes books can't quite do it, though both of them are important. So one of the things I'd want to say to our uh, wonderful group of seniors, and I'll use the word wonderful because Nona said there just really isn't a word uh, that really encompasses um, uh, the many facets of this particular group. But one of the things I'd want to tell you is education is wonderful. I'm glad you're, you are going forward in it. But education does, in fact, have limitations. I remember a friend of mine was pastor of a church in Houston. And years ago, and it was a very educated part of Houston, perhaps the, uh, is, is higher, higher than any other part of Houston. And the guest speaker came, and, and lots of scientists and very brilliant people lived uh, near this church. And the guest speaker did some research before he came to speak at that church. And, and when he got up, he first let them know about the research. He said, you know, you're an interesting group in this, according to the demographics and the census in this area. He said, you know, you're highly educated, more educated than any other part of the city. He said, but do you know this? Do you know that your uh, rate of domestic violence is higher than the rest of the city? Do you know your suicide rate in your family is, is in your families, is among you and your children, is higher than the rest of the city? Do you know that you have a higher rate of alcoholism than the rest of the city? And he went on through like seven or eight social indicators like that. And then he looked out of the congregation and he said, Houston, we have a problem. And of course the problem was that their education doesn't necessarily fit us for life. The great uh, novelist Walker Percy once said this, you can make all A's and still flunk life. I mean, there's something, there are limits of education, and that's why, like Peter and John, we need an education not just in books, but we need a particular education in life as well. So, what I want to suggest to our seniors today is that what I saw uh, in Peter and John is this, people who not only had learned and learned well the lessons from the scripture, but they had something else. They had what comes that you can o- and what you can only get by hanging around with Jesus. So I'd like to invite you, even though it sounds a little weird, is that when you get to school, that you make sure that you have time like Peter and John had to hang around with Jesus. How would you do that, especially if Jesus is not physically there? Because outside of where I went to school, Jesus probably isn't hanging around. But how would you do that? Well, know this, that Peter and John didn't physically have Jesus either. Peter and John had the presence of the Holy Spirit. When you go to school, know that Jesus crosses boundaries, interstates, freeways, railroad tracks, airports, 
in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is with you. And you can, as a Christian with the Holy Spirit inside you, consult Jesus in your heart and say, give me guidance, give me direction, give me strength, give me power. And you can be confident that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus will hear that call. And so Peter and John do amazing things and Jesus is not physically in the picture anymore. And they're still doing amazing things. Now, you might say, well, I've asked, I've got a problem. I've asked the Holy Spirit about it and I, and I felt like I got an answer. But how do I know that that's the Holy Spirit and not just the Mexican food I ate last night? I'm glad you asked that. Because that's an important question. How do we know if we're asking for the Holy Spirit's wisdom, we're asking for Jesus to be with us, how do we know what we're here and sensing? How do we know that it could be from God? And that's why I want to remind you that another second way that you can hang out with Jesus is make sure you know his story. On occasion, read the Gospels. And I know you're going to have lots of required reading to do no matter what your major is. But could you read a chapter of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a day or maybe even a week? Could you get familiar with that story so that as God guides you or you think God's guiding you, you can say, yes, this makes sense or no, this doesn't line up with the Jesus that I read about. And there's a beautiful thing that happens with the Gospels. Not only is Jesus present with you um, and hanging with you as you read his story, but you get the value of experience added on to the experiences that you're getting in school. Because I think, parents, we'd all agree that part of the a wonder of going to college is the additional experience that our, our students get when they go to college. But the great thing about the Gospels is that their experience is not limited to their experience. They get to participate in a larger experience. Roger and Ruth Ann Lynn have a son-in-law who's an Old Testament professor. His name is Matt Schlem. And Matt was talking about, in a recent book, about the power of story in the Old Testament. But I think it could be said also the Gospels. He said the great thing about stories is they add to your experience and you get to live into somebody's experience without it even having to happen to you. So, and I would just tell you in Jesus, as you read a story, you'll find a person who is, on occasion, unfairly criticized. Well, you don't have to go through that experience first to try to figure out what to do with it because you can watch what he does with it. We have in Jesus a person who is betrayed by the people that are closest to him. They let him down. Well, we don't actually have to go through it to get that experience so that if it happens to us, we will know what to do. When you talk about a Jesus, you're talking about a person who experienced at one time great success and had a lot of popularity. And then all of a sudden, in the next moment, the popularity Left him, And we don't have to actually have that experience to be ready for it because we can share in the gospel story and the experience of Jesus. So I'd encourage you to hang with Jesus by having the Holy Spirit in your heart and read his story on occasion as you have time to read it. And then I would also encourage you, as possible, hang out with other Christians because Paul says something really interesting in, the, um, uh, in, in his letters. He says this, he says, you are the body of Christ, and then he says, you are the temple of God. And I've told you before that if you translate the Greek into English, it actually works better if you translate it into Texan, because it's plural. And what what Paul is saying to the church is, y'all are the body of Christ. Y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's something that happens when we are together that enables Christ to be present. The rabbis taught if there were just three of us, two or three of us in a room studying the scripture, that, that the glory of God would come upon us. 
Jesus put it this way. He said, whether two or three of you gather in my name, that's why I'll be there. So if you want to hang out with Jesus, hang out with other people who love Jesus, and he'll be there with you. And I'd also encourage you to, on occasion, when you can find time, get away for some moments of silence and prayer. You know, there's, the world is so busy. There's so many things that try to tell us who we are or who we ought to be. That how are we to know? Sometimes we need that chance, that opportunity to step back from a noisy world and say now and remind ourselves who are we again? And I believe that happens in prayer. When I'm praying and I'm by myself, I can hear what I can't hear in the midst of the crowd, and I hear the voice of God reminding me that I'm loved. I, I like what Richard Rohr's invitation to prayer. This is what he said: that in prayer, he said, you have Nothing to prove and nothing to protect. There's something about being with God that you don't need to prove that you're lovable, you're valuable. You're just reminded in prayer that you are. And you don't have to protect the rightness of your cause over against somebody else's cause because you don't need it. You know that you are valued and loved, win or lose. And you even begin in Silence to wonder if winning and losing is all that big a deal anyway in theological and spiritual and biblical debates. So you hang with Jesus partially in prayer. So I'd encourage you to hang with Jesus, but should I look at you or look at your parents? But there's more to an education experience than just hanging out with Jesus. Notice this. Peter and John didn't just stay locked up with other disciples. They went out into the world, and that's where they encountered the lame man, and that's where they encountered the people who opposed them, and that's where they gave a wonderful witness to God. You can't just hang with Jesus. You've got to be hanging out in the world that Jesus loves so much. Sometimes I'm worried that Christians have our own, it's been described like our own ghetto, and that is we only listen to our Christian artists, or we only read our Christian books, or we only use our Christian terms. And, and we, we mess a larger world, and we miss the people in that world. This is interesting to me. If I had gone further in the scripture this morning, one of the things I would have pointed, you would have heard, is that... They can't deny that somebody's been healed. They can't deny that Peter and John are pretty good speakers. So the conclusion the the 70 rulers come up with is, let's tell them to shut up. Don't speak in Jesus' name anymore. And their response is pretty amazing. You're probably familiar with it. They said to the rulers, now look, you guys are judges. You're rulers. You figure out for yourself, is it better for us to listen to God or to the voice of people? And they leave the question like that. It's a great line. You know, it ought to be somewhere in the Bible. But it's not. It's not in the Old Testament. Do you know who they're quoting? In front of these Jewish religious leaders, they're quoting Socrates. At his death, this is what Socrates, at his trial, he's got to say, look, should I listen to you or should I listen to God? They were familiar with the larger world around them. Their education didn't just consist in sticking with each other, and they were able to engage that larger world. I want to encourage you, don't just hang out with Jesus and Jesus' people. Make sure you do that some, but hang out with the world that Jesus loves so much. You're probably aware, of, but a couple of months ago, there started to be movements in, in, uh, among the different states to outlaw looking at your cell phone while you're crossing an intersection. Because not surprisingly, a number of bad things have happened to people. 
while they are walking in a busy intersection and looking down at their cell phone. And so when they were talking about making it a law in one state, they showed clips of things that had happened to people while they were crossing an intersection and not looking at anything. My favorite one is this. Of course, there were the bumps and the bruises and and the trips and the falls and that happens. But my favorite one is this. It wasn't in a big city. A guy is walking off kind of a main street and then he turns down a side street. It's almost like an alley and he's, you know, looking at his phone, looking at his phone. When five feet in front of him, there's a grizzly bear. It's there on the video. There's the bear big as Dallas in front of him. And he doesn't see it. Because he's so enmeshed in his world that he misses the larger world. We ignore the larger world and we get off in our own Christian groups to the peril of ourselves as well as to the peril of the world. Your parents are probably familiar with the uh, New York Times columnist. His name is David Brooks. A few weeks ago, David Brooks was writing about what a lot of us are experiencing in the political primaries, which is just a lot of anger. Basically, people don't vote for someone so much as they vote against everybody else. And, and they're upset. And, and, and Brooks says, you know, I, I, it surprised me. I'm not really sure what they're upset about. And then he said, I realized that most every day I spend time with graduates of Ivy League universities and captains of industry at the New York Times. And he said, and I am never with the people in the world to experience and understand their anger. And basically, his conclusion, much more eloquent than what I can put it, is I need to get out in the world. I need to be with people so I can understand them. Make sure at school that you hang with Jesus for the experience and education that brings, but don't just stay there. There's a larger world that needs you. The rabbis used to talk centuries ago about the phrase, text people. They said, we got lots of copies of the Bible around. We got enough text, they said, but what we need are people who will live that in front of other people because that is what will draw their attention. So as you love them, as you interact with them, as you listen and you do it out of, out of the strength and character that comes from hanging with Jesus, you have the best of both worlds and you have the opportunity to affect them and you'll be affected as well and your experience and education will be much broader for it. A number of years ago, I heard a man speak. In fact, an older gentleman, I'm not even sure that he's alive anymore. He grew up in the 20s and he told a room full of us uh, about how he became a Christian. And he said this, he said, I became a Christian by going to church. Well, we're pastors and even we rolled our eyes at that one. Like, really? But he said, here's the story. He said, I grew up in Chicago in the 20s. And he went to a particular church. And he said, there was an usher in our church who was there every Sunday. He said, he was standing up against organized crime and Al Capone. And three different times Al Capone had sent hitmen to take him out. And they hadn't got him yet. And Monday through Saturday, he was out working for justice, working against crime in the community. And on Sunday morning... He was handing out the bulletins. He said, I was eight years old, but I realized that anybody who could risk their life on a daily basis like that and live out their values, that there had to be something to this church and to this Jesus to enable them to do it. And I think that's kind of how things work in the world. 
and, 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 and God's economy. We are in church. We are with one another. We, we hang together. We spend time with Jesus. But we also then go out in the world and live in ways that bless and protect other people. And it's when we do those two things that what happens is this. We become better people and broader people for it, and the world becomes a better place. As you go forward, blessings, love God, but love others.